We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 274 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Friday, March 18th, 2022. Hopefully, you have recovered or are recovering from your St. Patrick's Day celebrating. Hopefully, all of the green beer and all of the Guinnesses and all of the Irish car bombs that you have consumed are no longer affecting you. But if they are, that's okay. We don't judge you. Never forget, this is a judgment-free zone, the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, we do, though, judge people and things in sports. And we can judge Thursday. We can judge St. Patrick's Day 2022 as having been quite the day in sports. There is so much happening in the NFL right now. Every time you look up, something big is going down in the NFL. The Green Bay Packers now reportedly are trading receiver Devontae Adams to the Las Vegas Raiders. Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson reportedly has narrowed down his trade destination to two teams, the New Orleans Saints and the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Cleveland Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield reportedly wants to be traded, but the Browns reportedly are refusing the request because they're not getting Deshaun Watson. Uh, But did you enjoy your day one of the first round of the NCAA tournament? It is an NCAA tournament with zero teams from the immediate Washington, D.C. area, but this is an NCAA tournament with four teams from the state of Virginia. Three of those teams played on Thursday. Now, two of them lost in blowout fashion. 14-seeded Longwood got smashed by three-seeded Tennessee. 16-seeded Norfolk State got blasted by one-seeded Baylor. But 12-seeded Richmond pulled off yet another 12-5 upset in an NCAA tournament. The Spiders, a 67-63 win over number five-seeded Iowa in Buffalo, New York. Uh, If you know college basketball, you know that Iowa is elite offensively this season, and yet Richmond held the Hawkeyes in check. Outstanding job by Richmond. Uh, Of course, we also had 15-seeded St. Peter's. Stunning. Two-seeded Kentucky in overtime. 
Uh, we had another 12-5 upset in New Mexico State over UConn. We had an 11-6 upset in Michigan over Colorado State. A very good day one of the first round of the NCAA tournament. Speaking of very good, a very good introductory press conference on Thursday morning for our new Commander's quarterback, our new Commander's QB1, Carson Wentz. I must say, I was impressed. Now, I also will say that this was just a press conference, okay? Press conferences are one thing, playing well in games is the more important thing. However, Wentz on Thursday morning was impressive. He hit the right notes in his answers to the many questions about the many concerns with him. Next segment, I'll take you through all of the key things that Carson Wentz said on Thursday morning and give you my thoughts on what he said. We also on Thursday morning heard from Ron Rivera. Uh, I'll discuss some of what he said, including some scheduled fun from Ron. Yes, Ron gave us scheduled fun at the Carson Wentz intro presser on Thursday morning. Also, the Commanders on Thursday afternoon announced a number of signings. Most of the signings were re-signings. However, the Commanders did announce the signing of unrestricted free agent guard Andrew Norwell. Yes, we have our first significant free agent acquisition for the Commanders this offseason. What are the commanders getting in Norwell? He is a former Carolina Panther, you know. Uh, I'll talk Andrew Norwell. I'll also discuss the commanders re-signing Cam Sims. Is Cam in the 2022 season finally going to realize his potential? Now, the lack of realizing of the potential does at least in part fall on Cam, but some of it too falls on Cam barely playing. Cam Sims barely played this past season. Uh, I have a special guest for you on the show, Mike Barber, ACC insider for Richmond.com. He is one of the best at talking Virginia Tech and Virginia sports. Mike and I will talk Hokies. Uh, number 11 seeded Virginia Tech will face number six seeded Texas in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Friday afternoon around 4.30 in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, we also will talk some Virginia basketball and some Virginia Tech and Virginia football. Each school has a new head coach, Brent Pry at Tech, Tony Elliott at UVA. Which guy is better positioned for immediate success. And I will talk Capitals. How about the CAPS Caps and what they did on Thursday night? A 7-2 win at the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Caps humbled the Blue Jackets as the Caps increased their lead on the Jackets for that second wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. And yes, I did say that the Caps humbled the Blue Jackets. Make him humble. Yes, as the Iron Sheik would say, make him humble. Sheiky baby, the Caps humbled the Blue Jackets on Thursday night. Make him humble. Yes, Sheiky baby, the Caps put the Jackets in the camel clutch and made the Jackets humble on Thursday night. Uh, do not forget to subscribe to this podcast, the Al Galdi podcast, if you don't already subscribe to the pod. Also, please give the podcast a five-star rating and write a brief one or two sentence review saying how much that you like the podcast, wherever you can do those things. Uh, Apple Podcasts being the primary place. You can also 
give the podcast a five-star rating on Spotify. And I thank you very much for doing those things. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Uh, feedback on the commander's trading for Carson Wentz continues to pour in. Uh, email from Dr. Matthew Mintz, a friend of this podcast and one of many doctors who listen to the podcast. I tell you, we have a lot of doctors who listen to this podcast. I heard that listening to this podcast now qualifies as passing the MCAT. Uh, Writes Dr. Mintz, I actually do like the deal. Aaron Rodgers wasn't leaving and Russell Wilson wanted elsewhere. That left the commanders with Jimmy Garoppolo, who is not elite and likely would have cost more assets, or with a Mitchell Trubisky, Taylor Heineke, or a Kenny Pickett slash Malik Willis. The problem with this scenario, which I think most commanders fans would have been okay with, is that we know that Heineke isn't a franchise quarterback, and one can argue that Trubisky isn't likely any better than Heineke. Then what happens if Rod Rivera doesn't like any quarterbacks in the first round of the upcoming NFL draft? We are back to square one. Wentz gives you flexibility. One, he is a legitimate starting quarterback. Two, you can still draft a quarterback. Uh, thank you for the email, Dr. Mintz. Uh, Ron Rivera on Thursday morning did make mention of the commanders potentially still drafting a quarterback. More on that coming up in a bit. You know, the Carson Wentz-Jimmy Garoppolo debate is interesting. Major concerns with each guy. Uh, I would say that Wentz has more upside, and I do trust Wentz's health more than I trust Garoppolo's health. You know, Garoppolo has been hurt a ton. You know, Garoppolo just underwent right shoulder surgery. Uh, Earlier this month, he underwent right shoulder surgery for an injury uh, that he suffered in the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, so wonderful. 23-17 win at the Dallas Cowboys on January 16th in the wildcard round of the NFL playoffs. I think that it's really telling that the Niners have yet to trade Garoppolo. And with each passing day, it becomes less likely that the Niners will trade Garoppolo. Uh, His trade market seemingly just has not materialized all that much. And I think the injury history is a major reason why. And so trading for Garoppolo, I think, would have cost a lot less than trading for Carson Wentz. Uh, But there is also this. Garoppolo is entering the final season of his contract. So if trading for him would have cost less than trading for Wentz, but you would have had to extend Garoppolo, and Garoppolo has this impossible-to-ignore injury history, and Wentz has more upside, then yeah, the commanders are better off having traded for Wentz. Uh, Email from Danny in Silver Spring, Maryland. Subject, Wentz equals Jan Mahinmi. Uh-oh. Writes Danny. Yes, you heard me right. Love the podcast and all the guests, particularly that you ask relevant questions and let them actually answer, unlike other hosts who just want to hear themselves talk. (laughs) I didn't write last week because I wanted time to digest in the hopes that this trade would become more palatable. Spoiler alert, I still feel nauseous. But as I listened to you and others, specifically Bob Kravitz compare watching Wentz to suffering a coronary, the desperation of this deal has become even more evident. Uh, Yes, Bob Kravitz of The Athletic was terrific on this podcast talking at Carson Wentz and what the heck happened with him 
and the Indianapolis Colts. So my conversation with Bob was on last Friday's show, episode 269. Continues Danny, it isn't enough that the Martys were bidding against themselves for a guy who was going to get cut in two weeks anyway. It isn't enough that Wentz eats up $28 million in cap room. It isn't even enough that we traded more valuable picks for him than the Chicago Bears fetched for Khalil Mack. Yes, not apples to apples because Wentz is a quarterback, but production-wise, the two men aren't even close. No, the real kick in the nuts for me is that Carson Wentz has become Jan Mahinmi. Yes, because Don Ron made it crystal clear to everyone that he planned to trade for a veteran quarterback. He refused to be left at the altar after being rebuffed by Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. This is just like the summer of 2016 when the Wizards cleared salary cap space to sign Kevin Durant only to be deprived of even an interview. Rather than keep that money and roll it forward, GMEG, as in Ernie Grunfeld, decided to shell out $64 million for Jan Mahinmi in addition to signing others. I think we all know how the Mahinmi signing worked out. In this case, just like Ernie Grunfeld then, the commies backed themselves into a corner with their big talk and then refused to take the logical slash prudent path forward. Ernie only lasted three more years after that ill-fated move. If this doesn't work, I doubt Ron will make it even that long. Uh, Danny, that is a fascinating comp. Carson Wentz and Jan Mahinmi. Uh, I had not considered that comp, and the parallels uh, are striking. A difference, though, would be this. The Jan Mahinmi contract was a four-year, $64 million contract with no way out, okay? The Wizards with that contract had to suck on it and like it, as uh, former Nationals reliever Joey Eichen once said about something else. Uh, the Wentz contract is one from which the commanders can get out after this upcoming season, after the 2022 season in terms of no dead money. So that is a key difference. But yes, uh, there are definite similarities between the two situations. Email from Jack L., Ron set his sights on a top-tier veteran quarterback, but it quickly became obvious that such was not going to happen. As a result, Ron then set his sights on a veteran quarterback with the goal of not overcompensating the team with which the commanders were trading, not overpaying the quarterback, and keeping the commander's salary cap room. However, Ron must have watched the Seinfeld-George Costanza opposite episode and after watching that episode, Ron decided that if doing the opposite of what one thinks is the right thing to do worked for Costanza, then it would work for Ron too, and that led him to making the trade for Carson Wentz. Considering all factors that existed when the Wentz trade was made, of which we are all aware, at this time, the Wentz trade does not look like a winner for the Comskins, though since Ron went George Costanza opposite, the trade will work like a charm, and Wentz will be outstanding. Your podcast is a morning staple of mine. Thank you for the really good work you do. Well, thank you, Jack L. Excellent theory. Ron Rivera went George Costanza opposite with the Carson Wentz trade. Just remember, if every instinct that you have is wrong, then the opposite must be right. Yeah, I should do the opposite. I should. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. <laughs> yes, I will do the opposite.
Yes, exactly. If every instinct our commanders have had is wrong, then the opposite must be right. Maybe that's the way for our commanders to be going. The Costanza opposite episode of Seinfeld, a classic episode. Heck, basically every episode of Seinfeld is a classic. Well, I don't know if we can call the Carson Wentz commander's introductory press conference a classic, but I do think that the presser went well. Wentz gave very good answers to the many questions about his many red flags. You will hear those answers and my thoughts on them up next. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, as the saying that we have all heard goes, actions speak louder than words. Although speaking is an action, words are conveyed via speaking. Uh, But anyway, you get the idea. Uh, It was on Wednesday afternoon that the commander's trade for quarterback Carson Wentz became official. It was on Thursday morning that we had the introductory press conference for Carson Wentz as a commander's quarterback. Uh, This was an opportunity for Wentz to make a good first impression on us commander's fans. Uh, This was a chance for Wentz to start to win over us commander's fans, many if not most of whom do not like the trade or at least have major questions about the trade. So first of all, how about how the Carson Wentz introductory press conference started? It started with Ron Rivera saying, happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, you can't make this stuff up. That was so great from Ron. Ron Rivera introduced Carson Wentz at his introductory press conference, and Ron began his remarks by saying, Happy Thanksgiving, uh, which of course was an ode to Dan Snyder's infamous screw-up at Ron's introductory press conference as Washington head coach in January 2020. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, Dan. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, So that was Dan in January 2020. Here was Ron on Thursday morning, and I'll play the full Ron Rivera intro of Carson Wentz for you. Here you go. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) uh, An awful lot has happened since since Thanksgiving, and just wanted to get an opportunity to introduce our, our, our new quarterback, our QB1. Uh, as a lot of you like to refer to him, 
And, uh, you know, this is a young man that we really uh, believe in. It's a young man we believe that's going to give us an opportunity to, to ascend and become the team I believe we can. Uh, a, a young man I believe that uh, really has got a lot going for him, especially uh, who he is as a, as a person more so than anything else. So with that, I want to welcome uh, Madison and Carson Wentz to the Washington Commanders. Carson. All right, so not only did we get the happy Thanksgiving from Ron Rivera, but we also got him calling Carson Wentz the commander's QB1. Uh, that stood out. Wasn't surprising, but uh, that did stand out. But I was a fan of the Ron Rivera happy Thanksgiving. That was funny. That was self-deprecating on the part of the organization. Who knew that Ron had material? Who knew that we at the Carson Wentz intro presser would be getting uh, late night with Ron Rivera? Now, Ron did speak to reporters after Wentz's presser. I'll get to some of what Ron said in a bit, but immediately after Ron's intro came Wentz's presser. Uh, here were Carson Wentz's opening remarks. Uh, first things first, I uh, want to thank the Snyders uh, for believing in me, uh, making the move, excited for it. Thank Coach Rivera, his family, um, this entire staff, um, just hearing in their voices um, since the trade, um, the excitement around here and the buzz around here, and um, just in this brief you know, time getting to know everybody in this building. I can see I can see a vision. I can see a clear vision of of uh, hopes and dreams and where we want to go. And so for me, that gets me honestly it gives me chills, gives me goosebumps, gets me excited. Uh, I want to thank the Colts for the opportunity the last year. Uh, made a lot of strong, awesome relationships with teammates, coaches, players, um, staff, and it's the hardest part of the game. Honestly, for me, is is leaving those relationships behind. But at the same time, it's the exciting part um, to go build and, and forge new relationships. And so, uh, I just want to thank that organization for the opportunity. Um, I want to thank my family, my beautiful wife, and two little girls are in the back. Uh, hopefully, they stay quiet for the next 10, 15, 20 minutes. Um, but they're along along with me uh, for the wild journey that this life holds, and uh, they're my rocks. Um, they're they're awesome. So. Uh, looking forward to it, excited, uh, and we can open it up to some questions. All right, so Carson Wentz thanked Dan and Tanya Snyder, thanked Ron Rivera, and Wentz did thank the Indianapolis Colts, said that he, quote, made a lot of strong, awesome relationships with teammates, coaches, players, staff, end quote. So Wentz took the high road with the Colts. What stood out more than anything during Carson Wentz's introductory press conference with the Commanders was how he handled the many questions about his many red flags. Uh, we have talked so much about the Carson Wentz red flags. The reporters at the press conference asked a lot of good questions, and many of the questions were about the red flags. But Wentz gave excellent answers. Uh, he did not get defensive. He actually put some of the onus on himself. He did not shy away from his struggles, and he seemed to have a good perspective on where his career is at. Now, Wentz began a number of his answers to tough questions by saying, uh, that's a great question, or great question, or something like that. Uh, I thought that that was kind of funny, but let's go through some of these Carson Wentz answers. So here was Wentz on Thursday morning in response to the question of why he isn't still with the Colts. It's a great question. It's a great question and completely fair question. And uh, sometimes I wonder the same, um, to be honest. I, I think, you know, I think it was a year that had highs and lows, uh, ups and downs. The, the, the way we finished, the way I finished was, was poor. 
was poor. And I think that um, definitely uh, was tough to swallow um, and tough to finish like that, especially when we, we thought we had a chance um, to really do something special and make a run. And uh, we just kind of collapsed and I didn't play good enough, uh, well enough at the end there. Um, and so, you know, things happen. I always believe things happen for a reason. And so, uh, you know, you, you get an opportunity. Still got an opportunity to, to come out and prove myself and play the game that I love. Um, and I look forward to doing that. Terrific answer right there from Carson Wentz. Uh, He referred to having played bad in each of the Colts' final two games in the 2021 regular season, said, quote, the way we finished, the way I finished was poor, was poor, end quote. Uh, That's the kind of thing that a quarterback who struggles should say. And notice the correction with the pronoun. Uh, Wentz went from saying, we to I, the way we finished, the way I finished. A quarterback should use we when his team wins, should use I when his team loses, i.e. when we win, it's on us. When we lose, it's on me. And Wentz and his team lost each of their final two games in the 2021 regular season. Now, Wentz wasn't entirely to blame for the losses, but he was horrendous in that final game. The Colts' regular season finale. The Colts in Week 18 cost themselves a playoff spot by inexplicably losing at the Jacksonville Jaguars 26-11. This was despite the Jags coming into the game just 2-14 and despite the Jags being 15-point underdogs for the game. And Wentz was just awful in the game. Before the game registered a total QBR per ESPN of 4.3. But I liked how Wentz addressed that question. So we have the Carson Wentz red flag of how poorly he played toward the end of the Colts 2021 regular season. We also have the Carson Wentz red flag of a supposed lack of leadership. Uh, Colts insider Zach Kiefer of The Athletic in a piece that came out on March 9th wrote the following about why the Colts were trading Carson Wentz. Quote, as for the Colts, the issues with Wentz stretch back to before the season began, one source said, and over the course of the year, some grew frustrated at what they deemed a lack of leadership, a resistance to hard coaching, and a reckless style of play which had a role in several close losses. But this wasn't just a football move. Wentz's play, inconsistent as it was to close the year, wasn't the deciding factor. Colts brass simply didn't trust him to be the franchise quarterback moving forward, and they weren't willing to bring him back in 2022 and hope for better. Thus, the decision was made swiftly after the Week 18 debacle in Jacksonville. Wentz wouldn't return for a second season in Indianapolis, end quote. And so Carson Wentz on Thursday morning got asked about being wanted by the commanders and about his reported lack of leadership. Yeah. Um, so for one, reports are reports and, and there's truth in some things and, and all those things. And I, you know, if, if we're in this business trying to combat and, you know, argue every report, uh, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd run out of things to say, you know? And so for me, uh, I just try and be myself, be myself, get to know the guys, build the relationships. And, uh, you know, I, I, strongly feel I had amazing relationships with people um, in Philly and people in Indy and, uh, loved my time there. Um, and, to your first part of the question, I mean, knowing that that you're wanted and feeling that support from from everybody in the organization means a lot. It allows you to go play uh, confidently, freely, um, which I think ultimately will allow me to play my best ball and try and elevate uh, everybody around me um, to the to the full extent that I can. And uh, I look forward to doing that. 
Okay, so how about how Carson Wentz began that answer? He, in response to his reported lack of leadership, said, quote, for one, reports are reports, and there's truth in some things, and all those things, end quote. That seemed to be at least somewhat of an acknowledgement of, yeah, some of what has been reported is true, is fair. Now, Wentz, as that answer went on, indicated that we shouldn't believe everything that has been reported and that he can't respond to everything and that he doesn't get caught up in the reports and all of that is fine. But Wentz did seem to at least somewhat acknowledge that some of the reported lack of leadership is true. And so maybe, just maybe, he recognizes that he needs to be better when it comes to leadership. Look, I'm not looking for Carson Wentz to beat himself up publicly, okay? I'm not looking for Wentz to rip himself or to give some apology. I just want Wentz with the commanders to be the best version of himself. And to whatever extent he has lacked leadership, to whatever extent he has been resistant to hard coaching, I want him to admit to himself that he has been guilty of that stuff and to be better with that stuff. I don't pretend to know the extents to which Wentz has been guilty of these things, but I tell you what, there is enough smoke here to think that there is at least some fire. Remember what Colts general manager Chris Ballard said at his press conference at the NFL Scouting Combine on March 1st. Ballard said that Wentz needed to get better at handling criticism, said that criticism of Wentz had been fair, and said that Wentz needed to demonstrate growth. I tell you what, Maybe Wentz is demonstrating some growth here. And if he is demonstrating growth, then that's encouraging. Uh, Now, look, all of this is talk, okay? I mean, all of this is talk. Actions matter so much more. But for now, all that we have to go off of is talk. Uh, More from Carson Wentz. So the Commanders, of course, are his third team in three seasons. Uh, The Philadelphia Eagles in the 2021 offseason traded Wentz to the Colts. The Colts this offseason have traded Wentz to the Commanders. Wentz on Thursday morning on whether both the Eagles and Colts communicating by trading him that they're done with him motivates him. Yeah, uh, it's a great question. Um, And so for me, I I try to not use that solely as motivation. You know, I I know uh, definitely it's humbling. Uh, without a doubt, you know, to go uh, from where I was in Philly to then being benched and traded, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm aware. Uh, I'm aware of what that does, and I try and um, just stay optimistic. Just try and stay optimistic and positive um, uh, and, uh, and just make the most of it, you know. And so don't hold the grudge. Don't, you know, try not to, you know, walk around like there's a chip on my shoulder or any of those things. There's definitely uh, refuels my fire um, for the game and my passion for the game to, to, to be the best I can be and, and realize, you know, the, this period of time in, the, in an NFL athlete's career is a short window. It's a short window, you know. Obviously, Brady's playing at, a, at an old age, but that's still – he's still young, you know, in terms of life. And so there's a lot um, to just pour my heart and soul into everything I got uh, for this game for as long as I can um, and, and make the most of it and to come, like I said, to, to feel that I'm wanted here um, and people believe in me and support me. Uh, I think it'll uh, be a great situation to flourish. Okay, so we from Carson Wentz got, it's a great question, okay? That's how he likes to begin his answers to tough questions. But we got ownership from Wentz of his struggles. He acknowledged that he got humbled by what happened 
with the Eagles in being benched and traded by them. Uh, maybe Carson Wentz is a great actor, but he, at his introductory press conference on Thursday morning, came off as very self-aware and very grounded. I was impressed with what I heard and saw from Carson Wentz. Uh, I mentioned the comments from Chris Ballard at the Combine. So Wentz on Thursday morning got asked specifically about the Ballard comments, which really stood out because it's not often that a GM talks about one of his players the way that Ballard talked about Wentz at the Combine. Here was an exchange on Thursday morning between Commander's Insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times and Wentz. Hi, Carson. Matt Paris from the Washington Times. Chris Ballard was saying at the Combine that he thought the criticism of you was mostly fair and that it'd be a good experience for you and you'd learn from it. And I'm just wondering, what was your perspective of those comments and did you grow from that criticism? Uh, which criticism specifically? Just, he said... <laughs> There's a lot of things about, out there. Yeah. Good and bad. <laughs> that I don't read, so... No, yeah, just like the criticism about your play and just yeah. kind of the narrative maybe about you. Yeah, I, I think just... Um, if you're referring to my play, uh, I think it goes back to what I was talking about. Is just trying to trying to mature, trying to keep growing, keep evolving as a player. Um, you know, running around and, and making all those big plays is uh, there's a time there's a time for that. But you know, trying to just be smart um, and just keep the offense on the field, keep the ball moving, stay healthy, stay upright. All of those things uh, are things I'm always trying to to learn and take, you know, nuggets of info from different players that I respect or former players. And I'm just trying to always, always get better. All right. So we got some self-deprecation from Carson Wentz. Quote, there's a lot of things out there, good and bad, that I don't read, end quote. And he said that in a self-deprecating way. Now, I on Thursday's show, episode 273, Talked about this being it for Carson Wentz. Uh, you know, the idea that the commanders, more likely than not, are his last chance at truly being an NFL team's QB1 going into a season. Uh, Wentz on Thursday morning got asked about him potentially being at a fork in the road of his NFL career, given that the commanders are his third team in three years. Um, it's a great question. And, you know, everyone has their own opinion on that. For me, I try to not make it bigger than it needs to be you know come in and play good football that's always my goal uh put my best foot forward and, and let the chips fall where they may um and that's the mindset i've had ever since i was in college playing ball um and got to the league and so um that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna put my head down work build relationships and uh hopefully look up at the end of the year and be be happy with the result Okay, so once again, that's a great question. Uh, that or some version of that was the Carson Wentz go-to beginning uh, for answers to tough questions at his introductory press conference. But that answer to me was another good answer to a tough question. Now, speaking of tough, uh, few sports markets are tougher than Philadelphia in terms of criticism of athletes and criticism of of teams. I always laugh when people call the Washington, D.C. sports market a tough market. Oh, you people in the D.C. media are so critical. Oh, you people in the D.C. media are so harsh. Yeah. Uh, spend five minutes in Philadelphia, okay? Spend five minutes in New York. Spend five minutes in Boston, okay? Watch a post-game press conference for a team based in Philly or a team based in New York or a team based in Boston, okay? Philly is a tough market. New York is a tough market. Boston is a tough market. D.C. is a fair market, and D.C. at times is a soft market, okay? Let's just tell it like it is. But think about Carson Wentz. He went to high school in North Dakota. He played college football at North Dakota State. 
He then got drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. That's quite a leap in terms of a sports media market, going from Fargo, North Dakota to Philly. Perhaps that helps to explain why Wentz wasn't beloved in Philly. Maybe he didn't handle that transition in the best way, going from Fargo to Philly. Maybe he has learned from where he went wrong in that transition, if he went wrong in that transition. Here was Wentz on Thursday morning on what he has learned from his stops in Philadelphia and Indianapolis. Uh, learned a lot about being uh, being a man, uh, and, and you know, growing up, and uh, you know, for me coming from North Dakota, being dropped into Philly, it's different. It's a different world, and so you, you grow up in a hurry. You grow up in a hurry, and so I learned a lot about you know off the field and then on the field as well. Just how can I keep evolving my game? Kind of like what I was mentioning earlier. Um, you know, it's it's not all just run around and make plays, and you know, you're these guys are fast. The D linemen that are 300 pounds are probably faster than me chasing me down. So it's a different game. It's a different game. And so picking and choosing your battles and knowing how to how to stay healthy and be available and make the plays uh, when you need to, uh, it's, an, it's an always evolving game. And especially in this position, I'm always trying to evolve and get better. All right. And that right there, to me, was another good answer from Carson Wentz on Thursday morning. Look, I can't emphasize this enough. All of these answers from Wentz are just words, okay? His actions as a commander's quarterback will matter so much more than these words that we got on Thursday morning. And all of these answers could end up being comical, depending on what happens with Wentz as a commander's quarterback. But these answers to me suggest that maybe Carson Wentz has learned some things from where and how he has gone wrong to whatever extent he has gone wrong, okay? There's a lot that we don't know. And, you know, given how poorly received the Carson Wentz trade has been by so many commander's fans and given how many legitimate questions there are about Wentz upon the commanders acquiring him via this trade— a good introductory press conference from Wentz was needed. Now, if he had butchered the intro press conference, I mean, he still would be the commander's QB1, okay? But a situation that already was shaky would be even worse in terms of the perception of him as a commander's quarterback. So to me, Wentz and the commanders needed Wentz to have a good introductory press conference on Thursday morning, and he delivered that. And he deserves credit for that. And, you know, when it comes to feeling better about the Carson Wentz trade, again, the actions will determine ultimately whether we feel significantly better about this trade as opposed to the words. But uh, the words did, I don't make me feel at least somewhat better, okay? Like, I'm trying to be open-minded about this trade. I still don't like it, okay? But I do admit that it is possible that it works. I do admit that there are positives to the game of Carson Wentz. And so let's see, you know? I don't want to spend the next six months just railing on this trade, okay? I'd like to think that there is a realistic path by which this trade can work out. I have major doubts, but that doesn't mean that those doubts will be realized. Now, I mentioned that Ron Rivera on Thursday morning spoke to reporters after Wentz's press conference. There were a few things from Ron that stood out. Maybe the most interesting thing that Ron said had to do with the Carson Wentz red flags. I've been looking forward to Ron Rivera addressing the Carson Wentz red flags, and Ron did address the red flags. Uh, How about this quote? Uh, Don Ron, on Thursday morning, 
said the following regarding the Carson Wentz red flags. Quote, it was very interesting because when you talk to certain people, you talk to some of the coaches he's had in the past that I know very well and listen to what they have to say. It was contradictory to what was happening. What I found very telling is when two team captains on the team that he just left came out and were dumbfounded that he was being traded, but yet had nothing but positive things to say about him. That's more than enough as far as I'm concerned. Because the players know, if there's one thing that happens in this league, the players know exactly what's going on. The players know exactly who people are. You can't fool them. I can tell you that much. End quote. And of course, Ron Rivera used to be an NFL player, right? He was a linebacker for the Chicago Bears in the 1980s and early 1990s. So those who are bullish on the commanders having traded for Carson Wentz will bring up the Jim Irsay factor, the Colts owner, that he's the one who soured on Carson Wentz, far more than Colts head coach Frank Reich, far more than Colts general manager Chris Ballard, and that the real reason that the Colts gave up on Wentz after just one season is Ursay that Reich didn't want to trade away Wentz and that Ballard didn't necessarily want to trade away Wentz. It's still unclear, truly, where Ballard and Reich stood on the trading away of Carson Wentz. I mean, to me, given the way that Ballard talked about Wentz at the Combine, it's hard for me to believe that Chris Ballard wanted nothing to do with the Colts trading away Carson Wentz. But this theory of, you know, Jim Irsay, he can be kind of out there He's the driving force behind the Colts having given up on Carson Wentz after just one season. If that's true, okay, if the Colts trading away Carson Wentz after just one season is more so a function of kooky Jim Irsay as opposed to actual faults with Carson Wentz, well, then that changes a lot of things when it comes to how we should be perceiving this trade. But that's a big if, okay? We still don't have complete clarity uh, on that situation. Also from Ron Rivera on Thursday morning was him saying that the commander's trading for Carson Wentz does not preclude the team from taking a quarterback in the 2022 NFL draft. Though Ron also said regarding Carson Wentz, quote, I hope he's here for a long time, end quote. Uh, I have said this. I do very much want the commanders open to taking a quarterback in the draft. If in fact the commanders like a quarterback or quarterbacks in the draft. Uh, Ron has been pretty consistent here, indicating that the commander still could take a quarterback in the 2022 draft. But it is possible that Ron is saying this uh, just for posturing purposes, that this is just an attempt to try to get quarterback needy teams picking behind the commanders to want to trade up for the commander's number 11 overall pick. So Carson Wentz, thumbs up. Good job on the introductory presser. Uh, What that means long-term, who the heck knows? Maybe nothing, but then again, maybe something, okay? I wouldn't just be completely dismissive of the potential significance of the Carson Wentz intro presser. Commander Carson has arrived, and it turns out that another player has arrived for the commanders. All right, so we on Thursday morning had the introductory press conference for Carson Wentz as a commander's quarterback, in addition to Rod Rivera speaking to reporters. And we on Thursday afternoon had the commanders officially announcing a number of signings, all of which were re-signings, except one, the one 
is the signing of Andrew Norwell. Uh, the commanders on Thursday afternoon officially announced the signing of unrestricted free agent guard Andrew Norwell. I, on Thursday's show, episode 273, talked about the commanders on Wednesday having released four players, Eric Flowers, Matt Ioannidis, Landon Collins, and DeShazer Everett. And I said that the commanders didn't have to release all of these guys. The commanders' salary cap situation now is tighter thanks to the Carson Wentz trade, but the situation is in such that the team had to release all of those guys, and yet the team did release all of those guys. So that all of those guys were released suggested that some other moves might be coming. Well, we on Thursday got one of those moves. Uh, Andrew Norwell figures to be Eric Flowers' replacement as the commander starting left guard. As things stand right now, the commander starting offensive line figures to be, and I stress that word figures because who the heck knows, but Charles Leno Jr. at left tackle, Andrew Norwell at left guard, Chase Roulier at center, Wes Schweitzer at right guard, and Samuel Cosme at right tackle. Uh, Andrew Norwell is the newest member of the Commanders Carolina Mafia. Uh, he is certified in the Commanders Carolina Mafia. Norwell entered the NFL with the Carolina Panthers as an undrafted free agent out of Ohio State in 2014. Andrew Norwell is another guy who has played at a high level at the position of guard who was acquired on the cheap. Again, undrafted free agent out of Ohio State in 2014. A UDFA. And Udfa became one of the better guards in the NFL. Uh, Norwell played for the Panthers from 2014 through 2017. It was during that time, of course, that Ron Rivera was the Panthers head coach. Also, Marty Herney's second stint as Panthers general manager was from July 2017 to December 2020. So Norwell and Herney overlapped some as well. And Andrew Norwell was a key interior offensive lineman on that 2015 Panthers team that won the NFC Championship. Uh, the two things that I really like about Andrew Norwell are his durability and his consistency. Uh, the 2022 season will be Norwell's age 31 season. I mean, that really isn't that old for a guard, but Norwell has been quite durable. Norwell, over his eight NFL seasons, 2014 through 2021, has played in 112 of a possible 129 regular season games. Now, that might not sound like he has been that durable. Okay, but consider this. Uh, Andrew Norwell, over his last six NFL seasons, 2016 through 2021, has played in 89 of a possible 97 regular season games. So a mere eight missed regular season games over the last six seasons. Compare Andrew Norwell's durability with that of Brandon Sheriff, who of course has just signed a big money unrestricted free agent contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who, interestingly, are Andrew Norwell's former team. He went from the Panthers to the Jaguars after the 2017 season. Sheriff, over just the last four regular seasons, has missed 22 games. Norwell, over his last six regular seasons, has missed just eight games. That, my friends, is durability. And then with consistency... Uh, Andrew Norwell, for each of his eight seasons, has had a pass-blocking grade for pro football focus of at least 70. Now, a PFF grade of 70 isn't, you know, sparkling, but that is solid play. Every season of his NFL career, the guy has had a pass-blocking grade for PFF 
of at least 70. Norwell was ranked by PFF as being the number eight free agent interior offensive lineman in the 2022 NFL offseason. To me, Ron Rivera and the commander's offensive line coach, John Matsko, at this point, get the benefit of the doubt with whatever they do with the offensive line. Matsko is one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL. Washington's offensive line has been a significant strength in each of Ron's two seasons as the team's head coach, including this past season, during which the team dealt with a lot in the way of injury and absence with the offensive line. Uh, Look, I get it. Eric Flowers played very well for Washington this past season. I have made no secret of that. But if the commanders feel like they're better off going with Andrew Norwell, especially given what he costs versus what Flowers was to cost, then I'm fine with that. You know, I think there is a trust that we should have in Ron Rivera and John Matsko when it comes to the offensive line at this point. Uh, Also on Thursday afternoon, the commanders announced the re-signings of a bunch of of the team's free agents. Uh, The Commanders announced the re-signings of the following unrestricted free agents. Uh, Running back, J.D. McKissick, who, no, did not change his mind, okay? He has re-signed with the Commanders. He did not sign with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Receiver, Cam Sims. Safety, Bobby McCain. Corner, Troy Apke. Yes, Trap. And center, Tyler Larson. All of these re-signings had been reported on in recent days. All of those guys had been unrestricted free agents, uh, and the commanders on Thursday announced the re-signings of the following exclusive rights free agents. Uh, Center John Toth, interior defensive lineman Daniel Wise, and linebacker Milo Eifler, one of our favorites from the 2021 season. Yes, Milo is back. Uh, We've talked about a lot of these guys. I do right now want to talk some Cam Sims with you. Might it be, could it be, that Cam Sims is going to thrive with Carson Wentz as the commander's QB1. Uh, Sims reportedly was re-signed to a one-year, $3 million contract. Believe it or not, the 2022 season will be Cam Sims's fifth season with Washington. Uh, Washington signed Cam in the 2018 offseason as an undrafted free agent out of Alabama. Uh, as you may recall, he suffered a high ankle sprain in the win at the Arizona Cardinals in week one of the 2018 regular season, spent the rest of that season on Washington's reserve injured list. He, in 2019, was released in the cut down to 53, had multiple practice squad and active roster stints with Washington. He, in 2020, was waived in the cut down to 53, but then was signed to the practice squad, elevated to the active roster for each of Washington's first two games in the 2020 regular season, and then was promoted to the active roster on September 22nd, 2020. Uh, So Cam has been with Washington for years now, and we have been waiting for Cam to bust out for years now, and it just hasn't happened. Now, Cam Sims still is young. Uh, The 2022 season will be just his age 26 season. Uh, Cam still is tall. Uh, He's listed as being 6'5". Uh, He has entered each of the last two seasons with high hopes, but Cam in each of the last two regular seasons hasn't played much initially and then has played more as the season has gone on. You know, Ron Rivera seems to like Cam Sims, but Ron in each of his two seasons as Washington head coach has waited to play Cam for some reason. Now, some of that may well be on Cam. I mean, he in the 2020 season had a major problem with drops, but also for Cam in the 2020 season, were some big games. Uh, Cam Sims in the 2020 regular season played in all 16 
of Washington's games, had 32 receptions for 477 yards and a touchdown on 48 targets. There were two performances in particular that stood out. 23-20 loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field in Week 9 of the 2020 regular season. Cam Sims in that game, three receptions for 110 yards on four targets. According to Pro Football Reference, Cam became just the second player in Washington history to have a game with 110 or more receiving yards on three or fewer receptions. The other guy to do that for Washington, the great Gary Clark in December 1991. Uh, Also for Cam Sims in the 2020 regular season, the 23-17 win at the Pittsburgh Steelers in week 13. Cam in that game, five receptions for 92 yards on nine targets, including a tremendous one-arm catch with his right arm. Alex Smith in that game, a fourth quarter, third and four, 29-yard shotgun completion to Cam, who made the great one-arm catch. And then Cam was huge in Washington's 31-23 loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in January 2021 in the wildcard round of the playoffs. Uh, Seven receptions for 104 yards on 13 targets. Uh, Cam had a really good thing going in that game with Taylor Heineke, uh, although Cam did have a big drop early in that game. Like I said, he had an issue with drops in the 2020 season. Now, Washington last offseason re-signed Cam Sims as a restricted free agent. Cam in the 2021 regular season played in 14 of Washington's 17 games. He in October 2021 missed three games due to a hamstring injury that he suffered in that 34-30 win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four. But Cam in the 2021 regular season had just 15 receptions. That's it. 15 catches for 211 yards and two touchdowns on just 23 targets and playing on just 25.47% of Washington's offensive snaps. Now, like I said, he did miss three of Washington's 17 games in the 2021 regular season. But still, he, for the 2021 regular season, played on just a little more than a quarter of Washington's offensive snaps. That's it. Now, I don't know if the hamstring injury lingered, and that's why Cam didn't play more than he did. But, I mean, he just ended up not being that much of a factor throughout last season, off again having emerged quite a bit as the 2020 season went on. Now, Cam in the 2021 regular season did make maybe the single best Washington play of the season in terms of degree of difficulty. That spectacular touchdown catch in the 27-20 loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field in week 14. Cam made an incredible touchdown catch in that game. He made the catch over Cowboys corner Trayvon Diggs. Uh, This came on a Taylor Heineke third quarter, first and 10, 43-yard Shotgun play action, touchdown bomb to Cam on a 50-50 ball. The play initially was ruled an incompletion, but Ron Rivera successfully challenged that initial ruling. Uh, I, a few days ago, tweeted out the video of that play. That is some play. I've watched that video like a thousand times. I mean, it's just tremendous play by Cam Sims. He has big play capability. And so you think about the Commander's 2022 season, the hope for the 2022 season, of course, is that Carson Wentz, is that Commander Carson, who has a big arm, will be throwing bombs. And the likes of Cam Sims and Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel and Diami Brown will be catching those bombs. This was Wentz on Thursday morning at his introductory press conference for the Commanders on quarterbacking a Scott Turner coordinated commander's offense.
Yeah, just honestly to have a brief conversation this morning. Um, and I got fired up talking to him. Just um, for me, you know, right when the trade went down, obviously knowing the, the talent that's already here on the offensive side. You know, I know, I know a lot about the defense. Gone against Coach Rivera's defense uh, for years now, and uh, competed against you know that stout D line in, in Philly for a while. Um, so I know a lot about that. But offensively, you know the, the talent um, that's that's around here gets me fired up, and I look forward to you know being able to push the ball down the field to those guys, get the ball out onto the playmakers, and make some plays. Yeah, and Cam Sims is one of those playmakers, but Cam has to play in order to make plays. Uh, We'll see if Cam actually plays more this coming season. Well, these are strange times in college sports in Virginia. Uh, You could argue that right now Virginia football is ahead of Virginia Tech football, although even this past season the Hokies beat the Cavaliers. And you could argue that Virginia Tech basketball is ahead of of Virginia basketball. Uh, We're certainly not used to saying that. Uh, Virginia Tech is in the NCAA tournament for a fifth consecutive season in which there has been an NCAA tournament. Remember, no NCAA tournament in 2020 thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic. Virginia is not in the NCAA tournament. First time that the Wahoos have not been in an NCAA tournament in a season in which there has been an NCAA tournament since 2013. And what a turnaround for Virginia Tech this season. Uh, the Hokies began their ACC season just a 2-7. and seven. They ended up going 13-2 and two in ACC games the rest of the season when you combine the regular season and the ACC tournament, which the Hokies won. Number 11-seeded Virginia Tech will face number 6-seeded Texas in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Friday afternoon around 4.30 in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And I'm very pleased right now to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, Mike Barber, ACC insider for Richmond.com. He is the co-host of the Teal and Barber podcast. Mike, it's nice to talk to you again, man. How are you? I'm excellent. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming back. So fifth straight NCAA tournament that includes Virginia Tech. It, of course, just won the ACC tournament. Did you ever think that you'd see a time in which you could actually argue that Hokies basketball is ahead of Hokies football in terms of results? Yeah, I I mean, maybe on a given night, but but not for a sustained period. Uh, It's certainly been interesting. and, And I think it's pretty clear from the selection that had Tech not uh, beaten Duke, they would have been left out of the field, which I don't think would have been right, but it would have been the case. Um, it, it's really impressive what Mike Young has done, uh, what he's done quickly, right? I mean, he, he had a, obviously a, a down year that first year, rebuilding that roster with all the guys who left. Um, but he's really done an, an impressive job quickly. Um, and I think building something out that, that can last, right? Like not going out, grabbing in some guys and having a big year, but building up a program. And, and I think if you're a tech fan, you ought to be really excited, certainly about this year, but uh, about the guy you've got with the big whistle right now. When it comes to the turnaround for Virginia Tech this season, 2-7 and seven to start ACC play, then a 13-2 and two finish to ACC play, when you combine the regular season and the ACC tournament, what to you are the principal reasons for the turnaround? Yeah, I'll I'll share this for some of your listeners. It it might be old because I put it in an article about Justin Mutz this week, but um, Kevin Aluma told me a great anecdote about Mike Young during that time when when they were 0-4 to start ACC play and then 2-7. And he said, coach kept saying that, that we were playing good basketball, 
we were really close to winning and just stay the course. And I said, okay, well, is that like a, a message you could rally around? And Kevin said, it was really annoying. Hmm. Uh, it was it was really annoying for Mike Young to just keep saying, we're really close, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. But the point is, he was right. They weren't playing bad basketball. They were losing. They were having a key breakdown at a key moment or a key turnover in a key spot and, and losing. But they weren't playing bad basketball. So to answer your question, I really don't think they changed anything big wholesale, right? This isn't a case where all of a sudden they went all zone or all of a sudden they played a five guard lineup. Like they just kept doing what they were doing and tightening the screws a little bit, um, taking out some of those little lapses. And it's turned into, you know, I thought Mike Krzyzewski said it great in Brooklyn when he said, this team has become the team they thought they were going to be, right? This is the Virginia Tech we all thought we were going to see this year, and now it's just happening. So um, that was a long way to say. I don't think they changed anything. They're just playing the full 40 minutes. You mentioned Keve Aluma. One of the best things to me about Tech is that it has a number of guys who can get you. I mean, Aluma is really good, but you know Hunter Couture was incredible in the win over Duke in the ACC tournament final. Darius Maddox had the game-winning three as time expired in overtime against Clemson in Tech's first game in the ACC tournament. Is this, in fact, one of the deeper Hokies teams that you've covered? It's such an interesting question because going into the year, depth was the number one problem I saw on ah. this team. Right? Like, you go into the year and you're like, okay, they got a great starting five, but they don't have enough. And I think that's also, to go back to your previous question, that's part of why they've gotten better. I think Mike Young has very patiently, I think he's brought along guys like Darius Maddox, like Sean Padula. Um, you know, those guys weren't playing a ton of minutes early in the season. And fans were, oh, play them more, play them more. Mike Young knows what he's doing, right? He was bringing them along till they were ready. And now they're ready. And now... I don't know if it's one of the deeper teams, but it's got more talented depth. So what I mean by that is Darius Maddox, not only did he hit the game winner against Clemson, what he scored 20 against Carolina. So you've got guys on the bench now who are good enough to be starters. You've got that versatility with matchups and lineups. And uh, I really like the way Tech has developed its bench. And I think it's one of the reasons they're still here. Who to you is the most important player on Virginia Tech? Um, it's hard to imagine them winning without any of those guys, right? They're only going really 7-8. But to me, Justin Mutz, and that's why I wrote about him this week, Justin Mutz with his all-around game, um, he can score, right? Like, don't get sideways on that. He can catch the ball on the low block and get you a bucket. He can put it on the deck and drive it. He's got a decent mid-range jumper. So he can score points, but he can rebound. He plays defense on the other team's top post player. He's a great passer. He's just an all-around player. You look at him, and, and he's had the triple-double this year, which is a, a historic moment for Tech, but he's always in that triple-double hunt every night. And when I talked to him about it, he was basically like, hey, if it's a game where we need to rebound, then, then that's my focus. And yeah, maybe he ends up with eight or nine points and six assists, but he's got 14 rebounds. And if it's a game where... They've got to move the ball to get good looks. Yeah, maybe he's going to have 10 points and, and only eight boards, but he's going to have 12 assists in there. He just, he's got a great feel for the game. He's got a great willingness to do whatever it takes. And then there's a lot of guys who are like that, right? They're willing to do what it takes, but he's also got the skill set, right? Like if he says, I'm going to rebound tonight, he's going to rebound tonight. If he says, I'm going to move the ball, he's going to get 12, 14 assists. Um, to me, he is the most irreplaceable guy in that lineup. 
Yeah, it's a lot of fun if you're a stats geek like me looking at Virginia Tech box scores after games and seeing what Mutz did because every game he's filling it up. Like he's putting up numbers in like every category, it feels like. So it really is fun. Yeah. And, and, and block, I left out block shots, right? He's yeah. good for blocking two, three shots, too. So great player. Yeah, not a lot of guys like that in college basketball. We're talking. Virginia Tech basketball with Mike Barber, ACC insider for Richmond.com. He is the co-host of the Teal and Barber podcast. So you referenced the Hokies only getting an 11 seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Were you surprised by that? Yes and no. Um, I'm not surprised by anything the committee does anymore. I think we've all at this point seen Buzz Williams rant from Texas A&M on on being left out of the field. And he he took the entire postgame at his NIT, eight minutes, um, to go ahead and and bash the NCAA for the selection process. 11, the more I think about it, 11 might be fair um, for Virginia Tech. Uh, I like their draw, so <laughs> I wouldn't complain if, I, if I'm Tech. What surprised me is when you go through the seed list and you realize that if Virginia Tech didn't beat Duke, they're not going to make the field. Um, it, it's why I think Tennessee is underseeded. It's why I think Iowa is underseeded. It's why I think it's ridiculous that Tech would have been out had they lost to Duke. It's why, and, and I don't say this often, it's why I agree with Buzz about A&M getting shafted I think the committee did not put enough emphasis on the way you finish the year. And I know that's no longer part of the metric, right? It used to be baked in your last 10 games, but these are still human beings in a room and somebody needs to stand up and and bang on the table and say, who wants to play Virginia tech right now? Who wants to play Tennessee right now? Who wants to play Texas A&M right now? That's what bothers me about the way they viewed those teams and particularly the Hokies. I mean, ask Chris Beard, maybe off the record because you don't want to sound not confident going into a game. Is he happy to draw Virginia Tech in the first round? No way, man. Like they just, they didn't just beat Carolina and Duke. They humbled Carolina and Duke. And and I know it's not a great year in the ACC, but nobody wants to play Virginia Tech right now. And I don't think the committee took that into account enough for me. Yeah, the funniest thing about Tech's run in the ACC tournament was the toughest game was the first game. And then Tech basically steamrolled the top three seeds in the ACC tournament. Like, that was nuts the way that that went down. It was wild. And, and, and Al, I said, you know, when they beat Clemson on the buzzer beater, I said this is going to go one of two ways. Either, man, they're going to get knocked out of here quick because they needed a miracle buzzer beater just to survive Clemson. Or okay, they got a little magic now. They had their rough game. They got it out of the way. They had their big moment, and they may just catch fire. And, and certainly it was the second of those options. I had no idea. I'm not going to lie. I had no idea which way it was going to go. Um, but that's a, as, And that's why it's such a special – people have been asking me, is this the biggest win in, in tech athletics? And, and certainly I go back to 99 and, and football in Boston College and winning to go to play for the national title. But um, I, would have, I would have no problem with people making the argument – not just because it's their first ACC championship, but because they went through the one, the two, the three, because they humbled Carolina and Duke, because they beat Mike Krzyzewski in his last ACC tournament game. If it's not the greatest moment in tech athletics, well, it damn near needs to be near the top of the list. To the question of the NCAA tournament and can Virginia Tech make a run? I mean, look, we get it. It's the NCAA tournament. We know that anything can happen. All kinds of teams make all kinds of runs. You know, you throw your hands up in terms of trying to predict this thing. But uh, Virginia Tech certainly seems like the kind of team, especially with the way that the Hokies are playing, that can go on a run here. What do you think about that? The prospect of Tech maybe making a deep run in this NCAA tournament. 
yeah, I think they're absolutely built for that. Now, you made the great point. You never know what's going to happen, right? Like anybody can get hot, anybody can get cold. But I like this team because, one, it starts with defense. Um, they are great defensively. They are connected defensively. Mike Young likes to use the word with me. He says, we've got an edge. We're edgy defensively. Um, I think that sets you up to make a run. They're also a team that can score inside with Aluma and Mutz or can score outside with the three unbelievably when they're hot. So that's the kind of team that it's hard to defend, right? If they're having a bad shooting night, a lot of teams, if you have a bad shooting night in the NCAA tournament, you go home. Virginia Tech, with their defense and their low post scoring, I think they could survive an off-shooting night. Now, if they're going to make a Sweet 16 or an Elite 8, yeah, you want to see Couture, Padula, maybe Naheem Aline come out of his kind of season-long funk. If those guys are, are hot in the NCAs, yeah, they can make a deep, deep run. And, and like I referenced, I like the draw. Um, people say, oh, Tech should have been a nine seed. Well, you're a nine seed. You go win an eight-nine game, which is a coin toss. Then you face a one seed. Like, I get that the respect of the numbers nice. I'd rather be the eleven. I think they can beat Texas. I think their road, you know, Purdue's very good, but I think their road um, is more navigable than it would have been as a nine seed. Well, I have you. I do want to ask you about Virginia. And it's funny, you just used the phrase shooting funk and Virginia immediately came to mind. Uh, Look, it's not like the Cavaliers had a terrible season, but they didn't make the NCAA tournament. The offense at times was a real problem. We saw that in the loss to North Carolina in the quarters of the ACC tournament. How do you view the Wahoos season? Yeah, I think it's disappointing because of the bar they've set, right? And, you know, go back um, to, to a few years before Tony Bennett got there. And if I tell you that you're going to be grumbling and sore over 19 wins and um, beating Duke and Cameron, like that's going to be a bad year. <laughs> that's a great situation to be in. But, you know, I think the triumph of Virginia this year was. They were not very good at the onset. They lost to Navy in the season opener. They lost at JMU the next month. Um, you know, they had the worst uh, December, November, December under Tony Bennett that they've had. And then they got better. And, and that's to me, and it goes back to what I said about tech and the seating. Like, I think we need to appreciate that more that um, whether it's a great team that's got a bunch of one and done freshmen or, or a, a team that's a mix of parts. Like teams are going to evolve over the year uh, or they're going to devolve, right? Some teams, they look really good and then they turn out to be nothing. So I think Virginia deserves a lot of credit for improving over the year. They got themselves onto the bubble, essentially. Um, and, and that's a pretty big triumph. Now, overall, yeah, it's a disappointing year. You're Virginia. You want to be in the NCAA tournament every year. But um, I think a lot of good things happen for Virginia. They've got to figure out the offense. And, and honestly, Al, if they don't figure it out next year, they'll, they'll be in the same boat. When it comes to Tony Bennett, do you think that he's a Virginia lifer? I mean, he has won a national championship there. He did play in the NBA. He's young enough to where he could do the thing of leave for the NBA, see how it goes, and then comes back to college basketball. Do you at all ever get the sense that Bennett might try to do that? Or do you think that he's going to be in Charlottesville for years to come? I like the way you asked the question because I don't see him jumping for another college job. Right. If, if he stays in college, I think he'll stay at Virginia. I think he's built something there. Um, you know, it, it kind of like what his dad did at the end of Wisconsin. And um, I know he ended up you know, going somewhere at the end. But uh, I, I think Tony is in Virginia. The NBA is an interesting question. Um, his career was probably shorter you know, with, with the injury stuff than, than he wanted. Um, he's not an NBA guy. And, and I, I, you know, I'm painting with a, a broad brush here. I realize that. But 
the NBA lifestyle is flamboyant, right? It's flashy cars, it's red carpets, it's it's the Gold Club in Atlanta, it's all of that. Uh, that's not Tony Bennett. Um, there is a part of me that wonders, does he want to go to the NBA and just show that, hey, you can win my way in the NBA. You can be clean cut. You can be straight laced. You can just be a, a wholesome good guy who's great when it comes to basketball. Um, I think every coach, you know, I had a friend who coached with uh, Tubby Smith at Kentucky and I asked about, you know, is that the pinnacle, man? You're at Kentucky. And he said, everybody wants to be in the NBA. Now this guy's dad was an NBA coach, but he said, everybody wants to be in the NBA because you got the best players in the world and you want to see what you can do with them. So might that appeal to Tony Bennett at some point? I think so. Yeah, it, it might. But if you told me that Tony Bennett coaches basketball for 15 more years and all 15 of them are in Charlottesville, I wouldn't be stunned by that either. Yeah, I mean, Tony Bennett to me could be the new Mike Krzyzewski of the ACC in terms of lording over one program for like decades if he wants to. I don't think Tony ever wants to be the, the guy on the soapbox. And, you know, Mike was great about out being out front on all the issues and and leading the ACC. I don't think Tony ever wants to go that route. I got you. I got you. Uh, if I could ask you about football. So it's so interesting, right? Virginia Tech and Virginia, each school having a new head coach. So Brent Pry at Tech, Tony Elliott at UVA, which guy in your opinion is better positioned for immediate success? That's a good question because I don't know that either of them are necessarily uh, positioned for immediate success. You know, you look at Tony and, and that Virginia program has been in good shape. Keeping Brennan Armstrong is huge, but they got major, 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 major questions uh, on the offensive line. So um, that concerns me. I think that can derail things. Then you look at Virginia Tech and they're not in that different a position, but they've also got the question mark at quarterback. So uh, I think both of these guys, I'm going to say this nicely. I think both of these guys are going to ease into it. <laughs> um, you know, I don't, I, Justin Fuente's first year was such a great year. He had a loaded team. He went out and got Gerard Evans, the quarterback they were missing, and he goes and, and wins uh, the ACC Coastal. I don't see that happening for either of these guys. I think it's about laying the foundation. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit more of a slow build. I think they both have good teams, but I don't think either can have a great team year one. Um it's going to be fun, because here's the thing. When Fuente was hired, it was the same year Mendenhall was hired. And you always got to compare those guys, right right or wrong, fair or not. They weren't coming from the same backgrounds. They weren't taking over the same kind of programs in terms of where Tech and UVA were. But nobody cares. You're going to compare those guys head-to-head. And now that's exactly what's going to happen with Pry and Elliott. And then there's a million differences and a million reasons that that's not fair and it's bogus and no one cares. We're going to do it. And head to head, these guys are going to be compared. And it's a lot of fun if, if you're in the in the Commonwealth right now. Well, if you are a Virginia Tech fan, a Virginia fan, you definitely need to check out the work of Mike Barber. I'm sure many of you listening already do. If you're in the Richmond area, the Richmond Times-Dispatch. If you're out of the Richmond area, richmond.com. And listen to the Teal and Barber podcast. Always enjoy uh, listening to that. Mike, Very nice having you on, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Always a good time. Well, what a win for the Capitals on Thursday night. They played at the Columbus Blue Jackets, on whom the Caps have a nice lead for the second wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. And the Caps ended up winning in a laugher, a 7-2 win at the Blue Jackets. The Caps, seven goals tied a season high. The Caps this season now are 34-18-10 and and have 78 points, just one point behind the Boston Bruins for the top wildcard spot 
in the Eastern Conference, and the Caps now are 13 points ahead of the Blue Jackets for the second wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. The top two wild card teams in each conference will make the Stanley Cup playoffs, and the Caps now are just three points behind the New York Rangers for third in the Metropolitan Division. The top three teams in each division will make the Stanley Cup playoffs. The Rangers lost on Thursday night 2-1 at home to the New York Islanders. Uh, the Caps are rolling here. Uh, they now are 6-0-1 over their last seven games. The Caps also continued to do really well in games against Metropolitan Division opponents and in road games. Uh, the Caps this season now are 12-5-1 against Metropolitan Division opponents and are 19-7-5 on the road. The Caps were in a rut for a while. We talked about that, but the Caps clearly are out of the rut now. Uh, the Caps do have another game Coming up on Friday night, Caps will be at the Metropolitan Division leading Carolina Hurricanes Friday night at 7. Uh, the Hurricanes also played on Thursday night. They lost 3-2 at the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, the Caps in their win at the Blue Jackets on Thursday night did suffer another injury. Uh, forward TJ Oshie got hurt again. Boy, he just cannot stay healthy this season. Uh, Oshie suffered a lower body injury did not return to the game. Uh, center Lars Eller was out for a second consecutive game due to being on the NHL's COVID-19 protocol list. Forward Carl Haglin is out indefinitely off having undergone left eye surgery on March 1st. He suffered the injury in practice earlier that day. And forward Joe Snively is out due to a left wrist injury. Uh, the Caps on March 6th announced that he had undergone a left wrist procedure and would be out four to six weeks. So the Caps are missing some guys right now, but the Caps are winning, and the Caps put up a seven spot on Thursday night. Alex Ovechkin, another good game, a multi-point game. He had a two-point night. Ovi had a second-period power play goal, a secondary assist, and a team-high nine-shot attempts. Did commit a first-period interference penalty, but Ovechkin now this season tied for number four in the NHL with 38 goals and is number seven in the NHL with 74 points. Uh, Anthony Mantha on Thursday night had two first period even strength goals, did commit a second period unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Evgeny Kuznetsov on Thursday night had a third period power play goal for his 20th goal of the season. So Ovechkin and Kuznetsov each with a power play goal on Thursday night. The Caps went 2-5 of five on the power play, and the Caps' power play remains on fire. The Caps now are 18-58, of 31.1% on the power play over their last 18 games. Also scoring a goal for the Caps on Thursday night was defenseman Martin Fehervari. Uh, he had a second period even strength goal. Fehervari became just the 10th Caps rookie defenseman to score at least five goals in a regular season and the first Caps rookie defenseman to score at least five goals in a regular season since John Carlson had seven goals in the 2010-2011 regular season. Uh, Fehervari is one of many rookies on whom the Caps have leaned this season given all of the team's injuries and absences and Ferravari has been really good. Caps head coach Peter LaViolette during his postgame session with reporters on Thursday night raved about Ferravari. Take a listen. He's played fantastic, you know, and um, he can shoot, he can skate, he can pass. And I think as you become older in the league and more of a veteran player, then you start to see the numbers push that way. I don't think it's, I don't think it's the first thing on his mind. He defends really well. He he skates really well to defend. 
but he does have those gears to get the offense and um, defensively he's been terrific and you see every once in a while the offensive side of it as well so that could be something that's coming yeah and that would be exciting to see the caps on thursday night scored seven goals and the caps on thursday night got a very good performance from their goaltender vitek vanacek was the cap starting goaltender for a six-time in seven games, and he was really good. Uh, He stopped 39 of the 41 shots on goal that he faced. Vanacek, per natural stat trick, stopped seven of the nine high danger shots on goal that he faced, stopped all eight of the medium danger shots on goal that he faced, and stopped all 21 of the low danger shots on goal that he faced. Here was Laviolette after the game on Vanacek. Vitek made some big saves, and it seemed like he was busy the entire night. Um, had to make some big stays, uh, saves, had to stay engaged in the game. And I thought he did a really good job of that. Yeah, Vanacek overall has been good lately. Vanacek, since the start of this calendar year, so since the start of games on January 1st, has a save percentage of 928. Uh, not bad. Uh, Vanacek pretty clearly has become the Caps' number one goaltender. Uh, the puck possession battle for the game on Thursday night was about even, though the Caps had 33 shots on goal to the Blue Jackets' 41. Uh, Caps went 4-5 or five on the penalty kill. Lots of penalties in the game. Each team committed seven minor penalties. But the Caps won. Uh, they will be at the Hurricanes Friday night at 7 and then home to the Dallas Stars Sunday evening at 5. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 275, will feature lots on the commanders off whatever goes down with them over these next few days. We on Thursday got the signing of unrestricted free agent guard Andrew Norwell. Could another free agent acquisition Becoming given that salary cap space that the commanders created on Wednesday by releasing Eric Flowers, Matt Ioannidis, Landon Collins, and DeShazer Everett. Uh, Ion, Monday show, we'll talk NCAA tournament. We'll see where we're at with Virginia Tech. The number 11 seeded Hokies will face number six seeded Texas in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Friday afternoon around 4.30 in the first round of the NCAA tournament. We'll see where we're at with Richmond. The number 12 seeded Spiders will face number four seeded Providence in Buffalo, New York, Saturday evening at 6.10 in the second round of the NCAA tournament. And I, on Monday show, will discuss the rest of our Washington, D.C. sports weekend. Our surging capitals will play twice this weekend at the Metropolitan Division leading Carolina Hurricanes Friday night at 7 and home to the Dallas Stars Sunday evening at 5. Our reeling Wizards will play twice this weekend at the New York Knicks Friday night at 7.30 and home to the Los Angeles Lakers Saturday night at 8 and Spring training games are beginning. We'll see if anything of note happens with the Nationals and the Orioles. By the way, the Nats on Thursday officially announced having agreed on a contract with free agent D.H. Nelson Cruz. Uh, Cruz did an introductory press conference on Thursday. I am a big fan of the Nats signing Cruz. Uh, He's one of the best D.H.'s in baseball history. Should be a lot of fun to watch for the Nats. Nelson Cruz should be hitting bombs at Nationals Park this summer, and the Nats can potentially flip Cruz for a prospect or prospects this summer to help in the rebuild. Unless, of course, the Nats are in contention. Uh, I'm not expecting that, but you know what? Who knows? Uh, Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) 
Hey, well, uh, an awful lot has happened since uh, since Thanksgiving, and just wanted to get an opportunity to introduce our our, our new quarterback, our QB one, uh, as a lot of you like to refer to him. First off, happy Thanksgiving, to everybody. 